Welcome back to QAV, everybody. Tutti voi. This is QAV 603. We're recording Tuesday, the 17th of January. How are you, TK? Very well. You stuffed up my intro. I was going to say, hello, motherfuckers. We try and keep this show clean, Tony. It's True. got a clean rating on uh, the uh, network. So, yeah. No, I yeah. apologize. Yeah, so, if we see. Mother, mother, mother flippers. Try that. Or mother. Well, mother I, was just, yeah. I was referencing Dairy Girls that we were talking about. I before. know. It's a great show. <laughs> well, it's been, uh, been a good week in the markets, Tony. It has. The market was on a bit of Viagra last week. It was going up every day. It dipped a little bit this morning. But then last I looked, it sort of had recovered from that. I'm not sure if it's recovered all the way, but no, it's still down, I think. Still down today by 0.21%, but not too bad. But um, one of the good things about that is, uh, well, not good. One of the bad things is the STW benchmark has shot up in the last week and it's making us uh, look bad still. <laughs> it's doing really well. But anyway. In the short term. That's, yeah, it's in the short term. It's yes. just taken a slight lead. It's, we're, yes. still, we're still coming around the turn. We've got plenty of time to catch it up. More than a slight lead for this financial year. It's <laughs> got a huge lead. But yes, we'll catch up. But before we get into the portfolio updates, let's talk about commodity updates because uh, I had some issues with that this morning. Somebody, one of our astute listeners, pointed out to me that. I had coking coal down as a Josephine, but that it might actually be a buy. And I shot you some emails. I think the chart I've been using was out of date. It was a September 22 chart that I had forgotten was not staying current. I'm using bar charts there. Um, and I, when I looked at the January 23 coking coal chart, it actually looks like it's a buy again. You're using a different chart, I think. You were using trading? Yeah, I'm using the one that's in the scorecard, which is trading economics. Uh, not in, it's not in my copy of the scorecard. Oh, okay. Well, hang on. Sorry. Let me just open up the scorecard. I am using no part bar chart as well. I'm just clicking on the link that's in the scorecard. Okay. So when you click on that, if you look at the title, it says September 22, and that's where the price finishes. Right. But it's now January 23. Oh, okay. Sorry. Gotcha. Sorry, just for clarity, I was thinking of the normal coal chart, the thermal coal chart. Yeah, right. So if you look at the coking coal chart in bar chart for January 23, its code is U7F23. Definitely looks like it's above the second buy line and it's picked up in the last uh, couple of months, actually. November 22, it was down at 273. Now it's trading at around about $309. This is the Australian coking coal pricing. So I think coking coal is actually a buy. Yeah, I think you're right. So uh, thank you to whoever pointed that out. Good work. Uh, thank you for uh, checking our work as always. <laughs> so that means we're going to have to update this each month with a different link, aren't we? Yes. And I've actually made a note of that now <laughs> beside okay. the chart in my thing. So I <laughs> remember <laughs> to do it. Most of our charts update them. You don't have to pull up a new one all the time. But this one, unfortunately, uh, you have to do that. So Coke and Coal, I can't exactly remember the Coke and Coal companies, but uh, I think... Stanmore and Coronado from memory. Good old SMR, the one that I bought when I shouldn't have bought, but has done very well anyway, despite the fact that it was uh, a Josephine at the time. So anyway, that's uh, that. 
A few other changes on the uh, commodity list this week. I think copper was a buy again. Is that exciting? So is that uh, C6C? Is that our big copper stock? C6C, it is, and uh, Sandfire from memory too. I've got my little list of com stocks here. Let's see who else. 29 metals. I don't think that ever comes up on our buy list. Aeris Resources, Aurelia Metals are in copper. C6C is the big one. What else looks familiar down here? Helix Resources. I think they've been on the buy list before. Oz Minerals. And apparently Zimplatz has some exposure to copper according to this list. We really don't treat them as a copper company. No, we wouldn't be. Anyway, so uh, there you go. That's exciting. What else do we have in the comm stats changes this week? Platins of Josephine, aluminium's a buy and zinc is a buy. Oh, well, zinc I think is also, is it South 32? It's one of their big metals, so that's good for them. Right, let's see. What's uh, What have I got in terms of zinc? What looks familiar here? Aurelia Metals. Um... Again, I think Aurelia is more gold than zinc, I would have thought. Right, okay. Helix comes up in this list as well. Aurelia could be gold copper from memory. Okay. Metals Australia, MLS, has some exposure to zinc maybe. Oz Minerals again. Obviously, Rio Tinto. Yeah, S32. Sandfire Resources has some zinc exposure apparently. Superior Lake Resources, which is, I thought that was SLR. This is SUP here, so I don't know about that. Maybe SLR or something else. Anyway, that's the only ones that really jump out at me as something we've seen before. And who would I, who else did I say? Aluminium? Mm-hmm. CAA. Yeah, Capral, CAA, and South 32 has some aluminium exposure. 50% I've got noted here. I've got it down as 50% aluminium. Yeah, from memory, it's it's got both bauxite and what they call alumina, uh, which we call aluminium. So um, that should be good for them. So if anyone's looking at any of those stocks, you can check those out. Portfolio updates. Well, I did my weekly report this morning, the dummy portfolio since inception, which for new listeners is the 2nd of September 2019, is up about 17.5% per annum. CAGA versus STW, the benchmark, which is up about 7.8% per annum over that period. So we're doing two and a bit times still. Sorry to interrupt, but that's why I don't get fussed about underperforming the STW for the financial year. I know. We, it's, it's fine. We're all cool. But for new listeners. Yes. People do ask me to report on the financial year numbers, though, because so they can see how they compare. Fair enough. How their portfolio compares to how we're doing. We're up about 8% for the financial year versus the STW, which is up about 20%. So it's, had a, it's having a corker year. Of course, it usually won't always stay that way, but that's how it's doing right now. Last 30 days, SMR is up 30%. CVL is up nearly 17%. LAU up 14.5%. BFG is up 10.5%. NCK is up 10%. And then there's a bunch of others. So good month for SMR, up 30%. Well, and that makes sense if we just, as you pointed out, the coking coals just become a buy again. Yeah. Thank you, SMR. The light portfolios, uh, well, I think last week when I mentioned the light portfolios, we were almost double the STW. Uh, the STW caught up this week. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's ahead of us wow. now in terms of light as a group. Uh, the STW had a had a blitz a week. 
So it trumped us again. Not by much, but it's ahead of us a bit again. Uh, What else have I got in my things to talk about? Collins Street. Our friends at Collins Street Value Fund down in Melbourne. We've had them on the show a couple of times, I think. Michael Goldberg uh, runs the Collins Street Value Fund. Lovely guy. Pretty much a value investor with his own twist of lemon on there. (laughs) Like all the value investors, they do it their own way. But I got their quarterly report uh, in the email the other day, had a look. For comparison, our DP December quarter for the end of 2022 was 7.26% per annum using CAGA. They're reporting uh, for the December quarter 8.37%, but that's net returns. And I assume that just means you take your starting point and you take your end point and you calculate the difference. Is that what net returns means as a calculation? Usually in for funds managers, net returns means they've taken their fees out and any costs they've had as well. Oh, right. But it doesn't tell me how they're calculated. Is this a CAGA calculation or is it... Uh... As it should be, but as we know, <laughs> it could be weighted by time or weighted by funds invested or whatever. Yeah. Well, uh, we, CAGA, we're 7.26, but when I uh, when I looked at like their starting balance and our ending balance, it's up about 8% over that December quarter. Their 12-month return they're reporting is negative 7.3%, 7.63%, sorry, negative 7.63%, uh, while ours was plus 1%. So uh, we're doing okay uh, compared to the Collins Street folks, but n- not taking anything away from them. By the way, the rest of the numbers, two years annualized 7.7%, three years annualized 15.36%, which I think you know, three years is roughly the amount of time that the dummy portfolio has been running. And as I said before, it's about 17%. So a little bit better than that. Their annualized return since inception is 14.46%. They don't really say when that was, but uh, their five-year annualized is 14.09%. So they, they do good. We do a bit better, but they do okay. That's all my list of things to talk about, TK. What's on your list? Quite a few things, actually. So we we have another question I saw come in late about the CEO transition. And this always seems to be an issue for people. When do we raise a red flag when the CEO leaves? And I wanted to come back to a question raised last week, I think it was last week, about Fortescue Metals Group and the fact that their CFO had just uh, resigned unexpectedly and before their financial results come out next month. And I noticed in the, I think it was in the financial review that that's not the first finance person, senior finance person to leave for this cure. Guy DeBell, who resigned as 2IC from the RBA, went across to work for Fortescue, has only lasted a, few, a number of months and he's left as well. So there's something funny going on, I think, in the finance department of Fortescue Metals Group. Could be coincidence. Could be that, you know, the company's pivoting towards all its green new investments and that's not working out for some of the finance staff. I don't know. But it's pretty close to a red flag, I think, when you see that happening. And as I said last week, I, I wouldn't sell the shares if I, I don't own them. I wouldn't sell them straight away. I'd watch what the market does, but you know, I'd be getting out at the first sign of a downturn. Well, it, it has had a bit of a downturn. Okay. On the 13th of January, so late last week, it was trading at $22.93, actually got over $23 briefly. It's now trading at twenty one ninety one, so it's dropped by ten percent in the last few days. 
Yeah, well, I mean, everyone's situation is going to be different tax-wise, et cetera, but I'd be inclined to sit this one out and, and bench for the skew until some more clarity or until a bit of time goes past and the new CFO comes in and everything's hunky-dory again. But um, yeah, it's, it's looking pretty strange when senior finance people leave quickly. So you would uh, sell it if you held it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I'm red flagging it. And that's just, I'm being ultra conservative. It could be all good, but it's just, I mean, looking at it objectively, and I know they've come out and tried to paint a rosy picture on why people are leaving, but two senior people, one from outside in a senior role with the RBA last six months. And again, you know, there's he's saying personal reasons for the reason why he's leaving. The current CFO is saying personal reasons for the reasons why he's leaving. But it's an inconvenient time to say the least for Fortescue, and that to me raises questions. And everyone always has personal reasons, so uh... yeah. And I could be wrong. I, I'm being conservative. They they could all be kosher and hunky dory, and it could go on again. And also, too, the latest downturn in the price could also be for just iron ore underlying reasons. I know that the Chinese are trying to put together a cartel across all of their buyers to get better prices out of Australian iron ore producers. So. That could also be depressing the share price at the moment. When the New South Wales Premier has to resign because of the photos of him wearing a uh, Nazi uniform come out, no doubt it'll be personal reasons that is why he has to leave. Nothing to do with the Nazi uniform. Well, he better watch out for Al Pacino. (laughs) (laughs) And the hunters coming after him. Yeah. (laughs) I just wanted to know if he was at the same party that uh, Prince Harry was at when he wore a Nazi (laughs) uniform. Was it just like... You know, privileged white men wear Nazi uniform day. Is that a thing? (laughs) I'm not privileged, so I don't get those invites, you know. They claim it's funny and that's the sad part, isn't it? I've got a pretty dark, twisted sense of humour, but even I can't find (laughs) the humour really in that. Well, and I also forgive 21-year-olds for mucking up. I mean, that's, you know, I wouldn't want my 21-year-old self dragged out into the press at the moment because I would have made mistakes for sure, and everyone does. But it goes kind of one of two ways. He's 21, he's excited about his 21st party and he makes a mistake. Okay, that's entirely plausible. Or given his political persuasion, he's 21 and thinks, I'm going to stick it up those woke bastards, I'm going to be really out there and and edgy and provocative. He puts an Nazi uniform on. I don't think woke was a thing when uh, he turned 21, was it? No, but anti-liberalism certainly was, so yeah. He's just trying to be provocative. So if sure. it's the second one, and we'll never know which, which the answer is. If it's the second one, it's a problem. But if it's the first one, I'd gloss over it. I like the fact that uh, some senior ranking Liberal Party member down there started attacking the person that apparently was going to leak this story as a coward. It's like blame the leaker, not the person who did the thing that's being leaked. Attack the leaker. I think in, in, in the psychopath epidemic I wrote about one of the uh, symptoms of a psychopathic culture is when you attack the people that uh, reveal the uh, dirty things that are going on or the bad news. You attack the uh, what's the don't don't shoot the messenger. The messenger. Yeah, you shoot the you shoot the messenger <laughs> instead of play the man, on the not news. the ball. To use rugby terms, yeah. So when you see them attacking those people, I'm like, okay, well, that says a lot about the uh, culture of the New South Wales Liberal Party. But anyway, and it was leaked by a. New South Wales Liberal member anyway, so... Supposedly. I don't think they know who it was yet, right? But that's the that's the suggestion. They haven't named the person who was threatening to release it, but it was actually released by a cabinet minister in the Liberal Party. Hmm. Oh, wow. So uh, things are afoot. Yeah, absolutely. It's coming into an election. There's a bit of jockeying going on, but yeah, it's, it's a bad situation. Yeah. 
Moving right along. Yeah, so that was for the SKU Metals Group. Uh, did the the mortgage rate survey last week after the following on from the Reserve Bank uh, cash rate rise. And I gave it a week or two, A, because it was Christmas, and B, because um, it, sometimes the banks don't pass on the rate rises uh, straight away. Then the bank's mortgage rates have risen. I get an average of 6.82, which I'm plugging into our spreadsheets now as our test to see whether the, the yield is above the mortgage rate. I say 6.82 without any sort of sense of confidence because it, the banks deliberately make it hard to compare their rates. So unless you sort of submit an application and they personalise a rate for you, it's pretty hard to compare. So I tried to take the um, standard variable home loan rate with a few standard features and use their comparison rate because they've got all sorts of discounts and rate changes for whether you have 80% equity or sorry, 20% equity or 30 or 10 or whatever, and what kind of uh, other features you want, whether you want a credit card with it, blah, blah, blah. So and there's honeymoon rates going on there too. So look, it could be 6.5, it could be 6.8. It's in that sort of ballpark. So I've landed on 6.82 as the average. And for new listeners, Tony, can you just explain again why it matters, what the mortgage rate is, why we use that in the checklist? Yeah, we do it as a, a test to see whether the yield on the company is strong enough to pay off our mortgage if we happen to be borrowing funds to invest. And why, why do we do that? That's just the positive. So from my personal way of investing is I've, I've always had a mortgage against my house, which I've then drawn down to invest in the share market. And uh, it's a bonus if the company yield can pay off the, the mortgage for me. I mean, ideally, and we'll talk about this when we get into questions later on, the ideal situation, which we've been in before, is you buy a house, you mortgage it as much as you can, you draw that money down, you put it in the share market, you target QAV companies, but you target QAV companies with a strong yield and then their dividends pay for your house mortgage. So you've got a free house. It's costing you nothing to live there. Plus, you've also got a lot of exposure to the share market. And even if you're just getting index-like returns, the dividends are covering the fees. It's a free hit. So yeah, it, that's that's a benefit, which is why it scores a, an extra point on our checklist. Thank you. Horsies, this is something close to your heart. It is. And I, I'm raising it uh, for two reasons. One, one we sold a, a horse for a, a good price last week. We had a colt out of a mare we own called Furic, and it sold for 450000 against a reserve of 250000 So it was a very, very bullish horse sale at the Magic Million. So we were happy. But um, I want to raise it now and put it in the category of predictions. But the last time, so the Magic Million set new records for the for highest uh, priced horse sales this time around. Last time it happened was January 2008 when things were bullish and there was free money floating around and people were paying up for horses and it didn't end well after that. So I'm hoping history won't repeat, but uh, just to let people know, it's it's a frothy economy out there still, even though underlying it's not great. Is that one of the legs of your stool that you always talk about? It's not, but, uh, <laughs> and again, like I hate to make predictions, but um, it certainly caught my attention. So it may indicate that there's way too much money floating around out there and it's sort of peak frothiness at the moment? Yeah, it's going into risky assets. So you wouldn't say horse, horses are anywhere near as good as quality companies on the share market. <laughs> well, that one you just sold for twice what you wanted to get for it sounds like it was pretty good. It was, yeah. And that's the classic uh, Survivor story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Survivor bias. Let's not talk about all the ones that ended up as <laughs> the ones that ended up as dog food. Let's not talk about those, but this one, yeah. So that's why I raised it. Just uh, again, another 
for what it's worth, I'm not going to change what I do, but it's another harbinger of, uh, of the top of the market, I think. I wanted to just put a general call out to Quavers for feedback on what sort of fees they think they're saving by doing it themselves. I know a lot of our listeners have come across from super funds or have had money in managed funds or have been using people to advise them on investing you know, through direct accounts or whatever. We have had lots of good feedback from people saying that their returns are really good and they're getting better returns than what they were getting in the past. But I'm just interested to know, have people got experience in how much they've been saving in fees? Is it nothing, 1%, 2%, 3%? Because there are still fees involved in doing it yourself. You've got to set up a... Well, a lot of people will set up a super fund. They're paying a subscription to us and Stock Doctor or whatever. I'd just be interested in knowing uh, what the savings are on fees because I think that's... It's not as important as the returns because the good returns trump everything, but it gets lost, I think, the fact that some people are out there paying 2 3 4 even 4% in fees. And if you think about the classic way fund managers charge fees is they typically have 1% to 2% for their admin and they'll charge 10% of outperformance or even 20% of outperformance, which can add up to a high number, which they then take off their, take off your return. So I just thought it'd be good just as a, touchstone to highlight the fact that even if you're, you know, maybe not getting the returns you thought you would, you're perhaps saving on the other end from fees. So it'd be lovely if people could come in and tell us what those, what they're saving on fees. Okay. Well, if anyone wants to share that, you can shoot me an email, cr at and I'll let Tony know. Yeah, thanks. Uh, let's talk about confession season. Yeah, we're into it. And uh, I noticed today a number of retailers have come out with uh, their unaudited results and and their sales and results are doing roughly 20% above the uh, consensus forecast. And so they felt the need to come out during confession season, which as we know is the month before reporting season. And uh, under ASX and ASIC, I guess, rules, they have to come out if they have a a reason to believe that uh, the consensus is misleading the market and um, update people. So this could be a one-off because retail has had a good half um, and it may not be the future in terms of their, their sales may come off again this half. Our interest rates have risen. but um, And certainly during COVID, retailers did well. And when people couldn't travel, the money was going into retail. So they, they may have had all their good, their good times. But anyway, we're in confession season. Be alive to the fact that people are going to come out with... Uh, interesting announcements and they, they may affect their shares one way or the other. And so people should be ready and, and um, watching their share portfolio for the next couple of weeks to see if they need to make a change. Apparently, George Pell kicked off confession season just before he passed last week, uh, confessed that he thought Pope Francis was a dipshit and uh, <laughs> running the Catholic Church in the wrong direction. And then uh, conveniently went to, went, well, let's, let's not get into where he went. <clears throat> wherever it is, it wasn't good enough, I think, or bad enough or enough, enough, but that's my personal opinion. Yeah, mine too, I've got to say. So, and, you know, he's been through the courts. He was convicted, got off, spent time in jail. So it's pretty hard to run a court case on on very, very old evidence. But uh, what really annoys me with Pell is the Melbourne solution. Yeah. He was the person, for people who don't know, who thought it was a great idea if someone come and complained about a priest molesting their child, they just go, to just lawyer up and stonewall it and try and starve the other person with fees. And it was just a, a terrible thing for a Christian to do, I think. Well, for anybody to do. Well, particularly <laughs> for a Christian. For no, you're right, for do. anyone, but particularly for someone professing those values. 
Yeah, but look, you know, you, you know, my take on the history of Christianity is replete with violence, oppression, racism, uh, anti-Semitism. When people go, well, that's not very Christian. I go, actually, that's absolutely Christian because Christianity <laughs> has been raping and pillaging right. its way around the world for 1,900 years. Well, a bit less, uh, since Theodosius in 390 CE. Yeah, and, and as I had to explain to a few people uh, over the last few days, when the High Court reviewed the Pell decision, they didn't declare he was innocent. They didn't look at the evidence. All they said was, and this still blows my mind, is actually the jury shouldn't have been able to reach a conclusion based on the evidence it was presented with. They, should have, they shouldn't have been able to reach a conclusion beyond reasonable doubt. They should have had some doubt. And therefore, they nullified the jury's finding and uh, he was acquitted. But that's not a, no, nowhere near the same thing as declaring he was innocent of the charges. They just put a question mark over the jury's conclusion, which in and of itself is quite extraordinary, I think, and doesn't happen very often. But, you know, tends, I think it had something to do with the high profile nature of the uh, person involved in the case and all that kind of stuff. And potentially of the, the persuasion of the High Court too, but I shouldn't, allegedly I shouldn't say that. But I don't know anything about the persuasion of the High Court. But yeah, it was, it no, was I mean either, a very extraordinary event. It does blast a hole through the system. If you're going to be judged by a jury of your peers, yeah. and, they're, and they're swayed by emotional evidence as well as they are physical evidence and they find you guilty, and then the High Court comes along and says, well, actually, yeah, if it had to be a jury of lawyers, they would, have, they would have let you off. It's like, well, what do we have here? A system of review by law or a system of yeah. review by peer? Anywho, let's talk about lithium. <laughs> Another phantom living in the sky. <laughs> oh, look, I, I raised it because um, I, I spoke last week about wondering what the next thing was that was going to replace Bitcoin or Afterpay or, you know, tech stocks, whatever. And I, I thought it was lithium. And then Livewire today put out their list of the most tipped small caps for 2023. So this is an annual thing they do. They ask readers of the Livewire email to uh, put in their tips for both large caps and small caps. Small cap list has seven out of 10 mining companies on it, and the other three are tech stocks. So uh, I, I don't think the the desire to shoot for the moon has gone away from the people who've replied to this, and there was a large number of people replying and giving their tips. Whether or not they invest in those shares is another thing, but this, these are their tips. But a lot of the seven miners, I think most of them are involved in electrification. So they're either lithium or nickel and some rare earth stocks. And it, it just boggles the mind again that a large number of people can come to the share market and treat it as a casino, as Buffett's been saying for decades. They, they're just hoping to land on a lucky number, which pays them a thousand to one. And when if they walk down the street, they're going to walk past fabulous quality businesses, hardworking businesses that have been around for a long time, paying good yields and good returns, and they can invest in them cheaply. And I just don't understand why they do the former and not the latter. I still can't understand it. I mean, in their defence, they probably don't understand how to do the latter. Yeah. They follow the stories. Yes. And it's natural to want to get the highest possible return as quickly as possible for your money. But this, the, the way that you do it is just kind of boring. It is, yeah. 
<laughs> That's why we have to throw in references to the Catholic Church and Christianity. <laughs> Al Pacino, yeah. Nazis. Yeah, we have to sex it up. Yeah. <laughs> we don't actually believe that stuff, people. We just throw it in to sex it up. <laughs> well, that's exactly, you know, what happened with Christianity. Uh, you know, they started off going, well, we had this guy and he was, a, you know, he was walking around to preach. Oh, yeah, what happened? Well, he died. Oh. <laughs> Next. And they go, well, oh, hold on. Uh, did I mention that he could walk on water? <laughs> really? <laughs> Tell me more. Oh, yes, he could walk on water and he brought people back back from the dead. From the dead? Yeah. <laughs> you sure they weren't just sleeping? <laughs> yeah, no. So the, so the first gospel sold okay, but the fourth gospel, <laughs> <laughs> For real. Speaking of Monty Python, have you ever seen or heard of their German episodes? You mean which, what, the joke that won the war? The two episodes that they did completely in German language for German audiences. <laughs> no. It's on Netflix. I, we, I stumbled across it the other day and I was like, what the hell is this? I've never heard of this before. <laughs> and I thought it must be a joke and I started watching it. No. John Cleese speaking fluent German. All of the sketches are in German. Narration's in German. Everything's in German. And I looked it up and apparently they did make two episodes completely in German. It was supposed <laughs> to be a series. It was commissioned by, you know, some company in Germany in the, in the mid-60s. Uh, Chrissy was watching it. Chrissy speaks German. She's like, wow, this is like, there's no, she was watching John Cleese narrate the thing like in his, you know, his newscaster thing in German. She's like, he's got zero accent. That's amazing. And I looked it up. It was all phonetic. They had a scripts and phonetics that they had memorized. Then they, after two episodes, they were like, we can't do this anymore. This is too hard. <laughs> it takes too much work to have to do the whole thing phonetically. So none of them spoke German. And the funny thing is, I've seen clips of them doing live shows where they lapse into German and start speaking German. And yet none of them can speak German. So they must have, I think... They're either faking the German, and I couldn't tell the difference, or they memorized. Up something. Oh yeah, right. Okay. Or they've yeah. memorized these things that they did in the sixties, and they can just fall into telling jokes in German. But uh, anyway, <laughs> for something completely different, it's uh, worth checking out. It's on Netflix. Monty Python. Uh, it's Flying Circus, but in German. You know, Zirkus. Fliegen Joggen Zirkus. Baron Flying Circus. Yes, that one. <laughs> And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and, and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Just sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, you know, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, 
we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. That's it. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129271. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.